on the Western Hills. Glad you're here to worship with us today. Let's stand. Let's sing of our testimony to the Lord. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. Resurrection power
guys can have your seats. And we're in our week two of our new series called Let's Talk. And we're going to check out a little trailer here. Here we go. Have you come to the end of your rope? Do you feel like you're done? Does worry cloud your day or anxiety cling to every thought? Does fear hold you back from experiencing all that God has for you? You're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. 75% of the American workforce has experienced burnout. One in five American adults is affected by mental illness. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health issue in our country, compromising almost 18% of our population. 15 million adults have social anxiety. Adults experiencing depression have a 64% greater risk of developing heart disease. And Christ followers are not exempt. 23% of pastors have personally acknowledged they struggle with mental illness. The prophet Elijah struggled with burnout. Even Jesus talked about anxiety. Joshua and the Israelites battled fear. The early church struggled in the absence of Jesus. If God talked about mental health, we should talk about mental health. So let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Well, good morning. Um, <clears throat> I don't normally do this, so uh, we're going to, this is new. The guys in the back don't really know I'm going to do this. So uh, we're going to pause for 60 seconds this morning, and I'm going to ask us as a church to pray for our world, to pray for Ukraine in particular. Um, I just learned this between services. Um, our uh, Colonel Cobb, who is the, uh, used to be the commander for the chaplains in the United States Army, trained all of the chaplains in the Ukrainian Army. He's from Kansas. And um, he came home, and they were asking him about this a couple of years ago. And he says, Ukrainians are a lot like us Kansans. They like to farm. They, they're good salt of the earth people and the country's state flower is a sunflower um, I am not a geopoliticist <laughs> I have no idea um, what the answer is but I do know that in the Ukraine right now there is the, the church is healthy and the church is good uh, we have sent many, many missionaries to the Ukraine over the last 15, 20 years. And the Christian church in that country is a vibrant witness of Jesus. Um, and so the church is there. Christ is there. And freedom is being thrown away as we're watching it. And that's never a good thing. So let's spend just a little bit of time of prayer uh, just to let you know, I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for a change of hearts and minds. I'm praying for our world leaders that they will be given a wisdom beyond what they deserve <laughs> and a wisdom that we need. Uh, I'm praying for freedom for Ukraine. And I'm praying that the church in Ukraine not just be safe, but be relevant.
So would you pray with me? Father, I, I admit that it's hard to think through a country that I've never been to, people that probably never meet or will meet. It's hard to think of that, that place in the world and, and have a deep connection to. It's hard. But I also know that your work has been in that place for many, many years and that your church is there. The bride of Christ is in Kiev and is in, are in these, these cities and towns and villages that are being ravaged by war right now. An unjust and unrighteous and wrong and moral war. I do not pretend to know what the answer is, Father. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for world leaders who do not know who you are, that they be given a wisdom and a perspective deeper and better than what they deserve for the sake of peace. I'm praying for the transformation of people. I'm praying for the freedom of Ukraine. I pray for the church and pastors and missionaries and chaplains that in spite of the devastation around them, that that country will see your light and your hope and your peace. Father, throughout the scriptures, we have stories of you intervening with kings and leaders who do not know you, who do who did not worship you, who did not even recognize you. And you've used them and you have changed their hearts. And Father, we're asking that today. I'm asking that today. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Well, we're in week two in our mental health series. We are doing this series with three, uh, two other churches. There's three of us. Uh, Grace Point Church, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and Countryside Church. Uh, Tim Hughes, pastor of uh, Grace Point, and Nate Bruns, pastor of Countryside. They're friends. Uh, they, they really like each other. And if you've seen a couple of our trailers, that's how Tim always introduces Nate. Uh, here's my friend. He never introduces me that way. Uh, so I'm just going to keep reminding Tim of that because I know that there are grace pointers that listen to us online. As a matter of fact, they're probably tuning in right now. And I know we've had some grace pointers come and visit us. So I just want you to know your pastor doesn't like me. Um, but I'm praying for him. And I'm hoping that he finds Jesus really, really soon. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, Tim and I were talking this week um, 
when we were friends. And he, he said to me, he says, you know, man, um, that verse, which is always funny when pastors get together, because it's like, you know that verse? And no, I've never read the Bible. Uh, no, it's like, you know that verse when, you know, Jesus said when two or three are gathered together, you know, I'll, I'll be in the midst of them. And I was like, yeah, Tim, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with that verse. And he goes, no, 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 man. We always, we always talk about that as individuals. He says, but like churches, two or three. He's like, man, there's something going on with this. Like I'm, and I let him hang for a little bit because I like giving Tim grief, but I, I think he's right. I think there's something unique. I think there's something, uh, dare I say, mystical when, when God's people begin to go, we're gonna lift Jesus up and not our church or our denomination or our way, but we're gonna lift Jesus up. We're gonna put him. And so I do think there's something unique in this and something special. Um, and I, I'm just really glad that you guys are a part of this. One thing that we are gonna do on March 20th, we're gonna have a couple of health professionals here on stage and I get to ask them questions. And I get to talk to them like real people. And uh, we want to have an opportunity to maybe ask them some questions you might have. And so you can text in your questions and you can do that. <coughs> Excuse me, with a let's talk, text that to 94000. Uh, if you're unsure exactly how that works, just look down your row or look behind you. There'll probably be someone under the age of 30. They can tell you exactly what this means and how to use a QR code. Uh, and if you don't have someone around you that's under the age of 30, they are in this room. You can go find them after the service and they will be glad to tell you how to do that with your cell phone. Okay, uh, last week we had a great start with Elijah and here were some of the truths that we went through last week that sometimes there just doesn't have to be a reason to deal with depression or anxiety or any mental health issues. We talked about how healing is a complicated process, that my feelings are real, but not necessarily factual, and that it's okay to not be okay because God's not done with me. And then we talked about how I am not alone. And those are just some really foundational truths that are going to be with us this whole series, right? Those are, those are things that are going to leak into every single week when we come together and talk. Now, this week, we're going to kind of talk about anxiety and worry, okay? And just by me saying that, some of you have already are like, oh, why are we talking about anxiety? Well, that's why, right? It's like, that's why. And so I just want to make sure that we're kind of all on the same sheet of music here. Anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, or worry, or uneasiness about something in, that you think will happen in the future, or it can be about something that's happening right now, or it can even be about something that's happened in the past. Well, isn't that just dandy, right? It just kind of covers it all. Um, anxiety is a normal reaction to stress, okay? Like if something happens in your life and you have a stressor that happens, it can create anxiety. So I just want to say this out here and let's see if you can all agree. Do, do we agree that everybody, everybody has some level of anxiety, is that, is that something we can agree on? Is that, okay, everybody. Any, anybody in here not have any level of anxiety whatsoever? One person, cool. Would you like to talk about sex for a few minutes? What's your anxiety level right now? Because you're sitting with your girlfriend in the row with her mom and your mom, right? Your anxiety level up now? Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so now everybody... Everybody has some level of anxiety right now, right? Are we, are we good? 
right? Everybody has some level of anxiety right now. I just want to make sure we were all on the same sheet of music. Okay, now, since we all have level, you guys are going to have a great lunch today, man. Um, every, since everybody has some level of anxiety, right, we can also say that there's different levels of anxiety, right? There's the, I got a speeding ticket anxiety, and then there's the, I'm sitting in the same row with my girlfriend's mom, and the pastor just said the S word, anxiety, right? There's, there's, there's different kinds of anxiety, right? Uh, I have a buddy of mine who's um, going through potty training with his oldest child right now, and to hear him speak of this experience, you, you would think that his child is, is on the path of becoming some, you know, psychopath, traumatic kid, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, man, my kid, like he'll go off the back porch and, you know, but he won't go in the toilet, right? It's like, I mean, it's like, and he's just, it's just like the whole house is upside down right now because of potty training. And there's been a couple times when he's texted me and he's called me, he's like, hey man, blah, 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 blah. And he's like really stressed out. And I'm really trying to be a good friend to him because I know that for him, like this is, I know, like for him, this is a big deal. So finally one day he kind of caught me in a not so great place. And I went, hey, listen, I just want to tell you something. He goes, what? I said, I've never met a first grader wearing a diaper. <laughs> right? I mean, never, something happens by the time they hit grade school, they figure it out. They figure it out. So yeah, put a diaper on him for now. Like, they don't fight, right? It's like, so a level of anxiety. There's another level of anxiety though, where it's sharp and it's intense, but you know, you know there's going to be an endpoint. Like you can see something that's gonna resolve the anxiety. Uh, Cooper was probably about three, four years old. Uh, we were at the zoo. We were having a great time. We're doing the dad thing. and I've got his arm. And, blah, blah. and so he trips because he got a little ahead of himself. And I did that instant dad thing. And I tried to catch him, right, with his arm. And I heard and felt, no, oh. And Cooper's kind of going. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my, oh. And like, so I start crying and Cooper's like, well, dad's crying. I probably should be crying because, okay, I'm gonna start crying. So then he's crying and then, and then like I grab him and I'm running out of the zoo and it's like, these kidnapping the kid, this my kid, leave me alone. You know, I get to the car and I, I'm, I'm about 70% sure that I got him in the car seat, but I'm not 100% sure because it's one of those things where you just kind of like, the next thing I know, I'm in the car seat. Like I'm not, I'm not in the car seat. I'm in the driver's seat and I'm driving and I can't, and I'm th- did I put Cooper in the car seat? I mean, I know he's in the, like, okay, he's back there. He's fine. Like, it's like, I'm driving. And so I call Amy and I go, listen, you got to meet me at the emergency room because I think I just ripped our Cooper's arm out. I mean, we just got to go. We just got to go to the emergency room and that's what we're going to do. And Amy's like, okay. So she hangs up the phone and I'm, I'm driving the emergency room and my phone rings. And I pick up the phone and say, hello. And it's our family doctor. Now, what I didn't know was that Amy had called our family doctor who went to church with us. Now, our family doctor, we still know that we have a great relationship with him, but I don't, he's from West Kansas somewhere. I don't think he's been in a hurry to do anything ever. And when he talks, he just kind of talks like this when he talks. So he answers the phone. He goes, hey, Grant. And I go, hey, doc. And he goes, How's it going? And I'm like, 
what do you mean? I was going, I got my kid in the back seat. He's got an arm hanging off. He's like, he's going to die. And I'm going to the ER. What do you think I'm doing? He goes, hey, hey, it's going to be okay. Just don't go to the ER. They're going to ask you a few questions if you show up in the ER with your son's shoulder separated. So why don't you just come by the office? We'll look. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And I go, well, what do you know? So we go by the doctor's office, and by the t- he, this is his story, and I, you know he's a doctor, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But he's like, this happens all the time. This happens all the time. He says, probably when you put him in the car seat, it just snapped right back into place, and he's fine. And I'm like, I knew that, <laughs> yeah, right? So you have this rush of anxiety, and then it's just like, okay, whew, right? But then, but then. There's a whole other different level of anxiety that some of us, some of us know all too well. This is the, I am not going to sleep kind of anxiety. This is the, I am not going to eat or I'm gonna eat everything in sight. kind of anxiety. This is the kind of anxiety that just feels like it's gnawing on your insides. The kind of, the kind of anxiety that, that feels like it just circles around you and you, you're trying to live life and you're trying to do even daily things, but there's this, there's this fog that you can't see through. It's this kind of anxiety that, that those of us that have had to walk through this or are walking through this, it's, it's this kind of anxiety that there's a little bit of you that, that thinks this is never going away. It, it makes you think that, that you know, not only is it, is it never going away, but, but this kind of anxiety pushes people from being mentally healthy to having debilitating, crippling mental illness of where they can't, they can't do crowds. They can't do anything in public. They can't, right? There's that kind of anxiety. What do we do with that kind of anxiety? What, what, how do we handle that? What, what, what do the scriptures, if anything, say about that kind of place that just seems so deep and so dark, you really wonder if there's any hope at all in that place? My father-in-law sends uh, emails constantly, but, but for the last 20-something years, he has had the same email signature. And his email signature has been Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. And this is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I have 
a love-hate relationship with this passage of Scripture. Can I, can I be honest with you? I mean, I told you I was going to be honest with you, so whether you like it or not, I'm going to be honest with you. I, there have been moments in my life where I've seen uh, my dad's name in my, or my father-in-law's name in my email, and I know that that signature is on the end of it, and I'll just scroll right down, and I'll read that to remind me. I remember when, when we were, I was a student pastor and living paycheck to paycheck and a car would break down and it'd be like, I, maybe if we leave it on the side of the road, someone would steal it. I mean, it's like, where are we going to get the resources to do this? Our kid gets sick and we don't know how to do this. Or something happened and we don't know. Thinking through jobs, thinking through thinking through all these things that we're, that we're trying to process. And, and there have been times in our life where, where this verse has driven me to a deep, profound season of prayer and reliance on God that fundamentally changed who I was in that, in that moment. It's changed our family. In fact, this verse coined one of our phrases, pray like crazy. <laughs> Some of you have reminded me of this phrase sometimes. Hey, man, it's time to pray like crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, I've preached that, huh? Yeah. I mean, the verse just says that. Like, don't be anxious, but pray, petition, present. And, and let me just say this about what this verse means, too. It means ask, ask again, ask boldly, ask thankfully. In other words, don't pray the way you think you ought to pray. Pray the way you need to pray. If you never speak in Shakespearean English, then don't pray in Shakespearean English. Do not dress up your words to pray to God. Pray like crazy. And there have been seasons where that verse has dissipated the anxiety. And some of you know, there have been seasons where that verse has just made me angry. Don't be anxious about who wrote this. The fracturing of a friendship, the diagnosis that you didn't want to have, phone calls in the middle of the night, the death of a friend. And, you, and you'd read this verse and it'd be this mocking. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? I have permission to tell this story, so it's not going to cost me 25 bucks. But February 2020, we were running through all of these tests with Cooper, who was sick, and we didn't know why. We weren't telling a whole lot of people. Our connect group kind of knew that we were kind of walking through some stuff. And generally, we're a pretty positive family. I mean, we're, we don't, we're not spiritual Eeyores. We're just kind of like... You know, hey, let's, there's a lot of things this could be. We're not going to hit the panic button until it's time to panic and then we'll hit, you know, it's like, this is kind of how we roll. The week we found out, it was like the first week of March. It was just a few days before the pandemic really began to hit. 
We found out that it was indeed cancer. And when we found out, I got two emails in my inbox. One right on top of the other. The first one was from my father-in-law with Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in it. But it also had this picture in it. Yeah, some of you are going to cry. I've already been blasted in first service for this, so just get over it. This is what the email said. Son, you have a long history of loving your kids through hard times. Go do your thing. Love dad. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, underneath it. Underneath that email was an email from a very dear friend of mine. He's a pastor here in town. His name is Pastor Marcus Clark. He's pastor of Love Fellowship. And he had asked me to come speak at his Holy Week of his services. And the passage he wanted me to speak on was Luke 22, 39 through 44. This is what Luke 29, 22, 39 through 44 says. He went out, meaning Jesus. This is the night after Jesus has had the Last Supper. He went out, made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, being in anguish. Being in anguish. Jesus, being in anguish. He prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know if I'd ever seen those two passages of Scripture next to each other before. Don't be anxious about everything, but in everything present your petitions to God. And then Jesus in the Mount of Olives, being so overwhelmed, being in such anxiety, that he begs his father to take this circumstance away from him. That he didn't want to be in this place. He didn't want to do what he knew he had to do. And he's praying this prayer so intensely that he is sweating to the point that it looks like that he's sweating to the point that it just looks like he's just bleeding. And I get these two emails in March of 2020. It doesn't escape me. It doesn't 
I, I don't miss a couple of things here. I, I, I don't miss that even though Jesus prayed fervently and Jesus is in some serious anxiety and that he's in a place of serious anguish and that even the son has asked the father, take this cup away from me. That doesn't, I don't miss the fact that, G, that God, the father, does not remove the cup from Jesus. He does not remove Jesus from his circumstance. He doesn't say to Jesus, I know you're really having a massively hard time. I know you're in deep anguish. So therefore, you don't have to go. God does not do that with Jesus. So it doesn't escape me that sometimes when we're in circumstances, when I'm in circumstances and I'm begging God to change my circumstances, it doesn't escape me that God, if, if God didn't change the circumstances for Jesus, he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me to change my circumstances. So that, that prayer that I'm asking, and I think we should ask those kinds of prayer of change this circumstance, change this, change this. God sometimes says, no, not changing this. This is not changing. But I think over the years, what I have missed in this passage is the phrase that says, and he strengthened him. I think I have missed that one. That while sometimes God does not change our circumstances, there is the opportunity to be strengthened in him. So Jesus comes out of the Mount of Olives and he's able to stand in front of his accusers silently. He's able to walk the Via Della Rosa. He's able to go through being whipped. He's able to go through crucifixion. There's a, there's a strengthening that happened. It didn't, it didn't remove the pain. It did not remove the anguish. It did not remove all of those things. It didn't remove any of them. And in my own life, it's been some of those things where we're praying for a change of circumstances. We're praying for a change of circumstances. And guess what? Circumstances don't change. But God can change me. He can change me. I want to make a couple of observations and I want to talk about three applications when it comes to anxiety. And I just want to say at the front, this is not the whole book on anxiety. There's a lot more we can say. There's a lot more conversations we can have about it. We could, it is in, I mean, it's infinite are the conversations we can have about anxiety. I just want to give us a couple of handles on this from a biblical perspective, okay, that I think are going to be helpful to us. And here's, here's the first observation. It is not sin to be anxious. It's not sin 
It's not a sign of weakness. Now, you may be anxious because of sin, right? Sin may have put you in the position to be anxious, but the actual feeling of having anxiety is not sin. You may be in a position of anxiety because of someone else's sin. You may be in a position of anxiety because of no sin. It just happens. Something's happened. So it's not sin to have anxiety. It's not weakness. Second observation. It's okay to be in conflict with God. Now, let me do a little bit of theological backpedaling here, okay? (laughs) I do not think that Jesus and God had an existential crisis moment in the Mount of Olives, okay? I do not think that there was this moment where Jesus is going, I'm out of here. That's not what I think. But I do think that this glimpse, this snapshot that we have of Jesus in the garden shows us that there is a rawness, there is a vulnerability, there is a genuineness in the relationship between the father and the son to where the son can say to the father, I do not want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want this. Now, ultimately, because Jesus is Jesus, he yields and he says, not my will, but yours. But he doesn't do that because of some power play where he knows, oh, I have to obey my father. He does this because he trusts his dad. It's okay to be in conflict with God. I was visiting a family, they were having to make some just awful, brutal, end-of-life decisions. And the whole family was gathered in the room. And as I'm coming down the hallway, I hear words that I haven't heard since I've been in the Army. And I walk around the corner into the room, and it's the family, and there's nothing quite like being the pastor as you walk into the room, and that's kind of been going on. And I said, good morning. And one of them knew me very, very well, knew that I was not going to be rattled by this. I said, what's going on? Well, we've been having a prayer meeting. And one of the people in the room was like, there ain't no prayer I've ever heard like that. So I just needed to tell the father what I felt about this situation. Well, let me pray with you. There is nothing that you are going to bring to God that's going to surprise him. Did you know that? There's no conflict. There's no anxiety. There's nothing that you're dealing with in your life that's going to present this this crisis for God. Like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. It's It's not going to happen. You are not going to use language or use words that's going to offend his ears. And he's like, well, I can't hear you because you use that word. That's not how God works. The more real and raw you are with the Father, the more real and raw he is with you.
So if you want a shallow, fake, superficial relationship with the Father, then pray shallow, fake, superficial prayers. But if you want something more tangible, then get real. He can handle it. You're not going to throw him off. Those are my two observations. Let me talk about applications real quick. Got three of them. Here's the first one. We talked like crazy. We talked like before. Pray like crazy. You don't have to clean up your prayers for Jesus. You don't have to worry about what words or context. You just pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to get in a, I mean, talk. Talk to him. Will this dissipate all the anxiety that you have in your life? No. <laughs> no. No, it won't. But something's going to happen. Something will happen. Here's my second. Take one step of trust. This is probably the hardest application to talk through because when you find yourself in some of these places, the last thing you think that is even possible is you to take one step of trust. The idea of you taking a millimeter of, of action and sometimes in these places just seems like impossible. So let me just kind of throw some ideas at you of what one step of trust could look like, Okay. It could look like for the first time in your life when you pray, you pray raw, real prayers. That could be that one little step of trust. Uh, one little step of trust could be some of us, some of us, I know you're gonna find this really hard to believe, but some of us have walls that we have built up around people, around us, right? Nobody? Uh-huh, okay, sure. Um, nudge the person next to you if that's them. No, don't do that. Okay, no, some of us, have, have, have built up these walls and I call it the fine wall. Everything's fine, I'm fine, you're fine. We're all fine, everybody's fine, we're fine, we're fine. Or okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, right? And for you, one little step of trust may be kind of peeling back one of these little corners over here and finding somebody that you trust, that you know loves you. And you saying to them, I am not fine. And I don't know what to do. That may be the step. For some of you, the step needs to be, I need to talk with someone who can help me navigate, that can give me tools on how to navigate this. I need to talk with a counselor. And by the way, we have this resource in the back and we've got it on a PDF if you want it. But, but these are our counselors and professional, mental health professionals that we have gone to and we have said, uh, would you help us and would you be available? Because I know sometimes folks say, well, I can't get in, I can't get in, I can't get in. We can help you do that. Our Connect Group Leaders has this list and this list is on a table back there if you want it. We've got resources to help you. That may, be, that may be a step for you. 
but take one step of trust. There's one more application I need to make, and this one's a little, this one's a little personal. So back in November, I was invited to do on a pastor's retreat. There were 14 of us going. We had a common, um, we had a common um, connection with some folks that have done some coaching and training with us. And we fly up to this place uh, in Michigan because there's no place better than Michigan in November. Anyway, we fly, we fly to this place and we get there and, and there's like 14 or 15 of us. And um, the common denominator is, is that um, these are pastors that, that this group has worked with and they're, they're healthy, they're good, and the churches are heading in the right direction. You know, it's just all these fun things. But these are places where the pastors feels like the, the, it's just hard. So we get in this place and we don't know each other that well and um, we're, we're going through some stuff and uh, one of the sessions was uh, you meet with two other guys and you're gonna spend an hour and a half in prayer for one another. Now, I'm a pastor and I know that if someone tells me to spend an hour and a half in prayer, that's not supposed to give me anxiety. That's not supposed to freak me out. It freaked me out. I'm like, are they going to serve snacks in the middle of this? Because like that's 90 minutes. That's a long time to talk to God. That's like, that's like 90 minutes. That's exactly what an hour and a half is. I'm like, I don't know if I can spend, I don't know these. And so, you know, you play the card. Well, I don't know these people. I don't want to the bottom line is I don't want to spend an hour and a half with God. But you kind of have to, because there's only 14 of us. And if one of us says no, then okay, well, that guy, he's not going to be in the ministry in a year. I was like, okay, because he didn't love Jesus. So, so, so we get, we got these two guys, I got two other guys with me, and we're going to spend the next hour and a half praying for one another. We're supposed to t- put three things on the table that we want them to pray for. And it can't be about our church. Can't be about the church. This sucks. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have to go first. The other guy has to go first. He's been in his church 25 years. This is what he says. We just got our kid into rehab after being in jail for the past two years on and off because of his addiction to meth. And me and my wife have no idea how to be parents to him. I got to tell you, as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this guy, there was two thoughts that entered my brain. The first one was, oh, we're going there. Like he set the bar of vulnerability, right? And then my other thought that entered me was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to put on a mask here. (laughs) All right, that was my next thought. And we started hearing about a guy who, who, who had a son who, who attempted suicide, talking about uh, 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 family members that, that they thought they had processed through a traumatic event, and then lo and behold, something triggered it, and then it caused a whole other series of traumatic events, and the family was walking through that. And we're all, we're all in this place, and, and it's like, we're all talking about, I don't know how to be a dad in these situations. I don't know how to be a husband in these situations. I don't know how to be a friend in these situations. And we start praying for one another. And we start praying for one another and the bell rings. And I'm like, Whoa. 
We're not done. No. No, we're not done. We're not done. It, 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 just, it just flew. That's not the application. We come together in a large group after this moment, after this holy moment that we've had, and we're probably standing with two, three, four, five other guys. And so there's about six or seven of us around the table and the two guys that, that was in my group. And the, well, how'd your time go? And, and the guy says, well, you know, it, you know, it was okay. How'd your time go? And the guy that was with us was like, man, says, man that, was, that was the most significant time of prayer I've had. We just got real. We just talked about how we're just all struggling with different things and mental health issues and just the anxiety of being a dad and the anxiety of being a husband and the anxiety of being this. And I, I kid you not what happened next. Is it, we're, we're, we're saying this, and this is a room full of pastors, and a crop directly in front of me, this is what one of these pastors says. I wrote it down so I'd never forget it. He says this, I've always found that when I'm anxious, it's because I haven't turned it over to the Father. And when I do turn it over to him, he takes my anxiety away. He said that to us. And you will be proud to know that your sarcastic pastor didn't say anything. I wanted to, but I literally felt the Holy Spirit going. <laughs> and the guy, and what happened in that moment of quiet is the other five of us start looking at each other like, like we knew. What's my point? Here's my point. If you have a hard time with anxiety, you have to understand there are going to be Jesus-loving people who have no idea what it is like to live in the darkness of anxiety. They don't. They love Jesus. They're just ignorant. Quit trying to fix them. Quit trying to live for them. Quit trying to justify what you're feeling to people who do not understand. And don't judge them. Stick with people who get it. Pray for those who don't. Stick with people who get it. There are also Jesus-loving people who absolutely understand what it's like to live under the cloud of anxiety. Your faults, your insecurities, your, your anxiousness, your language, your choice of, all of the stuff that you're trying to figure out how to deal with it, that does not freak them out one bit. Stick with them. Hang with those people. And when you bump into people who don't, just smile. They don't get it. They don't get it. Pray for them. I did not come up with this on my own. This is how Jesus dealt with people. He prayed for his disciples who did not understand what he was going through. 
Two observations, three applications. It's not a sin, it's not weakness. It's okay to be in conflict with God. Pray like crazy, take a step of trust. Roll with people who get it, pray for those who don't. Pray with me, would you? Father, I'm, I know that in this room right now, there are some who are in massive, massive darkness. They're in the fog of anxiety. And Father, maybe, maybe one of these little nuggets is something that they needed to hear this morning. Would you solidify that in them? Maybe it's that step of trust. Maybe it's that raw prayer time. Maybe, maybe they've spent an inordinate amount of energy trying to justify why they are the way they are and who they are and where they are. And what they really need to start worrying about is just walking and living in grace with you. I pray for those who are massively wrestling with anxiety that today, today, somehow, some way, you would intersect them with something that reminds them that they are loved. An encounter that they can only ascribe to being from you. Father, I'm not gonna presume that by doing these things, all anxiety is gonna disappear. I know that it's just not true. But I also know it's true that we don't have to walk through this junk alone either. I know that's true too. We love you. May your spirit speak and heal in this place this morning. And it's in your name that I pray. God, I serve no 
Thank you for joining us this morning. We're so glad you were here. It's, it's such a blessing to be a part and thank our leadership for, uh, for joining with these other churches and to talk about these things that are really going on in the world. And I'm just so thankful that we get to do this together. Uh, and before we go, uh, if you're a guest of ours today, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we've got connection cards on the chairs and the rows. We've got a little welcome kiosks out in the lobby. You can drop that in there. We'd love to know you were here. Uh, and before we leave, let's, let's read our blessing together and over each other as we go out into the world. In Christ, you go nowhere alone. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you are, God can work through you. He gives purpose to your being there. Christ, who dwells in you, has something to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace, love, and power. Go be the church. Have a great week.